to win God, right, with everything. Not casually going about our walk, not just showing up to church, just being here to check the attendance box. I got another one, God. But that we're actively to be pursuing him, not just on Sundays, but every day. But there's also this other chunk here, and that's probably the more important chunk, and it's that he's been pursuing us. And that his pursuit was a prerequisite to our pursuit. And that we never to grow haughty in our pursuit or to think, wow, I'm pursuing so well. And them, (laughs) they're not pursuing at all. We don't get like that because we recognize that any pursuit of God that we are actively engaged in was inspired, was encouraged, was uh, previously uh, or or was preceded by, sorry, um, his pursuit of us. Right? It was his bright idea that he would be our God and that we would be his people, and we just so happen to agree. Amen? Now, this last series that we were on, uh, I Am the Light, Bob took us through uh, some understanding about how God is giving us light, and he is giving us more sight. Okay, you, you said it right. It wasn't the word I wanted to hear, so it's all, it's all good. He's given us vision. He's given us sight. And I, I love, the, I love the, the teaching. I love some of the examples. I love that he gave me uh, the opportunity to nerd out by talking about photosynthesis and phototropism, right? I love all of it. And I reflected on that in preparation for this week, and I said to myself, if, if he's given us light, he's given us light for a reason, Right? He's given us light so I could see something. So what is it that he wants me to see? What does he want me to understand? What is it that without his light and without the vision or the sight that he's given, I would be desperately lost? And as I started thinking about it, the list got really long. And I got really nervous because I'm like, God, you want me to talk about all of that in two weeks? That ain't going to work. Ain't enough time. And you know I'm talkative. So I'm going to tell a whole bunch of stories. And I might crack a joke. And next thing you know, this is 17 weeks, and then they're going to kick me out, right? It's, it's too much. So I can't do all of that. <laughs> so it got me to thinking that if I have light and I have sight, there's a few things I can see. But one of them that I could see better is my own journey. I could see how he's been faithful to me all along. I could see how I got to this point and how his faithfulness was essential for me to get to this point, to December, what is it, the 3rd, 2023, the year of our Lord. For me to get to this point, for me to make it to 37 years, however many months, however many days, however many minutes, however many seconds, for me to get to this point, I need to be able to have eyes to see and light to know that he was the reason I'm here. And without him, I would not be. And there are so many moments as I look back on my life, so many moments where if it were left up to my own devices, I would have had, gosh, public drunkenness issues in college and underages. I would have been, you know, kicked out of school because of my study habits. I maybe could have been in relationships I shouldn't have been in, children that I shouldn't have had at the time. Like, there's so many different paths, like alternative routes, right? Doing the Doctor Strange thing, if you're familiar with Marvel, where I'm looking at all the different ways this could have played out 
if not for God, right? But God. And so he gives me light to see that. He gives me light to see the people around me, right? We'll talk about that a little bit more next week, but just to give you a preview, he gives me light to see the people around me because sometimes I might get on your nerves. Sometimes I might hurt you. Sometimes you may hurt me. And my ability to be able to handle conflict with you, my ability to be able to build community with you, my ability to be able to forgive you, to teach you, to be taught by you, I need his light. I need his sight. Otherwise, Alan might come to me, and we've used this example before, so I'll use it again because it's old hat. Alan might come on the stage and correct something I said, if we remember that far back. If you're new to the church, you're like, what are you talking about? But there was a moment one time where in trying to give an encouraging word, I said something where I flipped faith and hope's definitions. And I remember Alan coming to me and gently pulling me aside and saying, hey, brother, so I'm going to get ready to correct something you said. And the reason why I'm going to do it is because you publicly stated something that could bring confusion. And because I love you and I love them, I'm going to correct it publicly. Now, because I had eyes to see, because I had light from the Lord, I could receive that correction from Alan and go, this is for the building up of the saints, not for my shame. Without light, without sight, I leave the church. I'm broken. I never share a word from the stage again. I start to question whether I actually know what God is saying to me and whether I can properly exegete and share it if I don't have light in sight. Alan corrected me and our relationship got stronger. It's only possible with God, right? And some of you may have received correction from me, maybe not from the stage, but maybe one-on-one. I can think about recent conversations without me mentioning any of them. No one get nervous. Where I might have said something to you, and, and, and in the past, you might have responded like, who does Donovan think he is? But because God has given you light and given you sight, you go, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Or I could hear you speaking things that I've said to you or I've, I've been witness to others saying to you because they love you. And I could hear it flowing out of you. And I go, wow, God illuminated that situation. He made it clear so that they might grow and so that relationships might be strengthened. So God's not just arbitrarily giving us anything. And if ever we mention from this stage or one-on-one or at a fellowship or at one of our, Felicia and I uh, have these after-church conversations that sometimes go till 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon when a lot of you leave. You're welcome to join us anytime. Maybe not today because we had a big vendor show this weekend and we are tired. But we stayed after church a few times and talked to many of you. And if it's not for God-given light, you will walk away from those conversations. Us meaning well, you being hurt. God is giving light and sight that we might grow, that we might be in better and more healthy relationships with one another and with those out there. God doesn't give you anything without it having purpose. What has he given you this year? What has he given you and are you using it? So, In Bob's series, he mentioned, as I said before, 
photosynthesis and phototropism. And I was thinking, well, what's, what's going to be my deep scientific term? What's going to be my thing that people will remember? And it ain't none of that. I didn't do any Google searches. I don't have any cool biology terms. I instead have something for the nerds out there. As I was talking with uh, my brothers earlier this week about what I was getting ready to teach, the word picture that came to mind for me that would typify what we're talking about is really twofold. One of them was reflecting on when I was in math class, and maybe when you were in math class before, and you'd be given a math problem, and I can see it now because Carol's looking at me, so I'm going to use Carol as an example. Carol was given a math problem, and Carol would answer it, but wouldn't show her work. Two plus two is what? Four. She said it so fast, right? Rusty, six plus six is what? Oh, so quick. But how do you know that? Where's your pen and paper? Right. Oh. <laughs> and not to mention, for those of you who are parents, y'all dealing with math techniques that we didn't use when I was in school. God, God, God help you. I helped my niece a few weeks ago when I was in Harrisburg do some math problems, and those jokers were hard. Not because the answer was hard to get to, but it was like color in this fish and that fish and then color in this plant. And when you do all of that together, the tapestry gives you 12. I'm like, mm, this is too slow. <laughs> if I'm in Chipotle, I need this math to come a little quicker, you know? And yes, there will be a calculator in the future, despite what your teachers tell you. There will be a calculator. I don't care what they say. Smartphones have made it possible, but all the same, they want you to show your work. Now, why, pray tell, do the teachers want you to show your work, typically? Mm-hmm. Sure, so we can see the path of problem solving, right? So that if the answer is not achieved or attained, we can realize where we varied off. I love that. I wasn't going there, but I love that. I'm going to keep that. What else? Why? Why do we have to show the work? Why, why, why waste a piece of paper? We could use paper to write novels, but you want us to color fishes. Fish, I know, God. Fish. Don't, don't cancel me. Fish. But why do we write? Yes, Alan. To show that you did it, you didn't just copy it off. Ooh, that's where I think it goes usually for me. I always felt like I was being accused, right? To prove I didn't copy off a of carol. To show your mastery, absolutely, your process, right? Because maybe there's a way in which you're figuring it out that wasn't what the teacher intended. But it's cool because you figured out another way to learn it. And if you have multiple ways to get to the same right answer, wow, we have true mastery of the subject. So I think of all of those things, but then you look on the screen and you see show whose works. Because I don't really care what y'all know, be honest even though I know that the example kind of led you to think that I cared about your mastery of anything. And that's kind of sarcastic, but... I look back on the math problems or the life problems that I've solved over the years, and I recognize that, yes, while I may have gained mastery in certain areas, while I may have learned to master receiving correction, sometimes, from some people, that really it's his works that allowed that to go well and allowed me every time I'm preparing to preach to say, Alan, you got time to talk with me? And now for the last couple of series, I call Alan. Like, I'll talk to Judah, I'll talk to Bob, but Alan's my guy. 
So I, I call, you at work? You watching your granddaughter? I need five minutes of your time. This week, I think it was like 32. <laughs> we might have set a record, right? But that shows his work in me. Because if you knew what my sermon prep process was a few years ago, you would understand Donovan needs Alan. Donovan needs Judah. Donovan needs Bob. Donovan needs to talk it through. Donovan needs to reflect on God's goodness. Donovan needs to not think that all knowledge of God resides in Donovan. Donovan needs to bounce ideas off of people. Donovan needs to make sure he understands it. Donovan needs to study to show himself approved. Donovan needs to work at it because it doesn't happen automatically. But a few years ago, I might have thought it did because I'm a decent impromptu speaker. None of what I'm saying right now is on this script. Oh, wait, I don't got a script. So I've relied on a gift before, and I would come up and I would talk, and it would sound pretty decent. But I'd feel really weird afterwards because I was pulling from a place that wasn't truly him. And so the series is talking a lot about how we want to show his work. What has he taught me? So that when somebody says, Felicia, you are so good at this that you could say, thanks be to God, this is how he taught me. Or this is who he sent to teach me. This is how we get it back to him. Because it should always go back to him. There's no skill in this room, no craft understood, no gifting that he hasn't given. And if we can't figure out why he gave a gift, know this, at minimum, he gave it so we can give him glory. At minimum, he gave it that we might reflect his faithfulness, his goodness. But I'm saying there's more to plumb beyond that. So I want to show his work. That's why we're writing it out. Felicia and I were talking earlier today, and and I thought this was really cool. She asked this question, and I never thought about this before. She said, are our testimonies for us or for others? And the answer that most of you might draw from is you might say, no, it's for others. It's to encourage other people. But I want to add to that that I think our testimonies do have value for us as well. Because if I don't reflect on his work, if I don't look at the scrapes and scratches and errors and mistakes on the pages of my life, I miss out on seeing his faithfulness and reminding myself of his faithfulness for me. It's great if I share my testimony and you all are encouraged, but that's bonus. That's bonus. Because if I haven't first received God, you have moved masterfully in my life. You have been so kind. You have been so patient. I thank you for how you have helped me to overcome. Then me sharing it with Brittany's cool, and Brittany's encouraged, and Brittany grows, but I, ref- I forget just that fast how he moved for me. And so I don't want to say that this is a thing about getting selfish. It's more so about saying, hey, I need to reflect on his works for me, for myself, And I need to share his works, which again is next week, for others. We should be reflecting on what he has done and never mistaking his works for our works. That's why we don't have on the slide your works. You don't have any. You participate. We are active in our pursuit of God. But any revelation you've ever received, you didn't get it on your own. 
any victory you've enjoyed, you didn't get it on your own. Any hurt, habit, or hang-up you've overcome, you didn't do it on your own. So I make time to reflect on his works and I look at the page of my life and I see all of the processing he had to do with me. I see where I was making errors before so I can see where I veered off from truth. I see how I have gained mastery over certain things because I have spent time with him. I I see it all more clearly because I took time to reflect on his goodness. This morning while eating pancakes, my wife and I were just thinking about all the great things that happened this weekend alone. We looked at the last 72 hours and we were talking about all of the things. And if you follow us on Instagram, you know about some of it. But there were so many things I'm not sharing with y'all on Instagram because y'all need to know everything about my life. But there was so much, so much. And when I spent time in reflection about all of his works, I found myself being prepared for the message, even though it didn't have anything to do with the message. Because I thought about his faithfulness, and it reminded me of things I need to say here, even though what I was saying wasn't what I'm saying here. Because when I'm thinking about how good God is, it's so much easier to preach about his faithfulness. So do we spend time in reflection, do we use the light and sight he's given us to see him more clearly? It's imperative that we do. Now, I promised, again, the nerds in the room that I would give an example. And you're probably like, hmm, math problem. Not doing it for me, Donovan. It's not it. Jameson's going, math is okay. That's not what you promised, though. Here you go. Hopefully this works. As I was preparing, I also thought of those old, and you might still be using them, I don't know. I thought about the old strategy guides that you would go to the store to buy. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, you would buy a video game. And this example would be Tomb Raider for me. When I was about, you know, anywhere from 12 to 15 years old, I really loved me some Laura Croft, right? For some good reasons and some bad, but we ain't gonna get into that. All right? But I loved playing some Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider was a fantastic game, and there were puzzles, and there were tricks, and plot twists, and people you thought in the little video reels between gameplay that were trustworthy, you found out they weren't trustworthy, and people you thought weren't needed, you found out they were needed, and you played these games, these epics, they called them, and you would get from the starting off in this cave with a jacket and snow and wolves eating the people in your group to getting to the end and realizing somebody really close to you betrayed you, and They're trying to steal something that would help them rule time, and you got to stop them. And you would buy the strategy guide because you recognize this game is hard. I can't beat this game by myself. And so you would buy the strategy guide, and it might give you helpful tips, but maybe not tell you everything. It would say, like, hey, if you read this section, spoiler alert, we're going to tell you where the hidden rock is that opens the door that gets you out of the bear cave. But if you just read the tip section, it might say, are any of the rocks a different color? And not tell you anything else. And so strategy guides are essential so that you can win difficult games. And if you say, I never want to have help in anything in life, well, good for you. But that's just not how life works. 
I'm constantly telling the students that I mentor at IUP that it's okay to ask for help and that that's a sign of maturity that you ask for help. For the parents in the room, you're probably explaining to your four and five and six and 16-year-olds that it's okay to ask for help and you'd rather them not figure out problems all on their own, causing messes, destroying your kitchens, getting themselves in trouble at school because they don't want to ask for help. So whether it be young people or older people, we all need a little bit of assistance. We all need a strategy guide. And if you wanted to think simply, you'd say, well, Scripture is our strategy guide, and I would agree with you. But you know what I think is also a helpful strategy guide? When we reflect on all he's done for us. God is writing a guide for how we should behave in future turmoil, in future situations, in future conflict, and he's writing it with how he has delivered us out of things before. I should know how to walk the journey better because of having already walked some of it with him. There are certain things that once tripped me up, certain branches that I didn't notice, certain uneven ground, certain slippery places that I didn't know how to walk on before, but now I know because he's provided me light and sight. He's provided me with revelation, but he's also given me the ability to reflect on that revelation. Sometimes the answer to our current problems lies in us reflecting on how he solved our previous ones. You might say, how do I forgive that person that betrayed me? How do I do it, Donovan? They hurt me so much. And I say, well, how'd you forgive the last person? How did God give you clarity and peace in that situation? And while the details might be a little bit different, the result's all the same, that God wants us reconciled with him and with others that he wants us to treat all people good as much as it's in our power, but also those in the household of faith. And so how I might have forgiven somebody before might give me understanding as to how I should do it now. How I have learned how to walk before helps me with how I must walk now. If we can go to Ephesians chapter 5, because I don't want you to think I'm just going to talk about strategy guides and math problems. If we can go to Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. I know I gave you a different verse, but can we go to verse 15? It says this, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, that's in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, but I'm going to give it to you in the Amplify Classic because Ms. Walsall told me about that, and I love it so much. It's now one of my favorite translations. So here it goes again. Look carefully, then, how you will walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately as the unwise and witless. Nope, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. Is verse 15. In the past, I would have looked at that passage and thought all of the onus was on me. And rather than receiving freedom from that verse, I would have thought about all the times I've made mistakes and said, I'm not walking as someone who's wise. A scripture that was meant to give me confidence 
and to give me conviction maybe even, could end up giving me condemnation because I was looking at it incorrectly. To walk as being wise sounds very stressful, and it sounds like it's a lot of hard work until you recognize he's been teaching me how to walk all along. So if he's been teaching me how to walk, why would he stop teaching me now? I reflect on, and maybe you don't reflect on this, you might just be annoyed by it, but I think about all the children running about after church every week. And you can see the ones who don't run as effectively as others, haven't quite gotten their gait down yet. You might see somebody running like this, right? Or this is my favorite, like this, right? And you see them running, but then eventually as they mature and they get older, they figure it out. And they weren't alone in figuring it out. The babies that don't have a proper gait just yet, well, when they're at home, they're watching their parents walk. Some of them are watching their siblings walk. Some of them are reflecting on how they fell over before and they go, wait, I shouldn't, I keep falling over whenever I lean too forward, so I should maybe run more upright. And it's usually that it gets annoying in the church when they do figure out how to run better because then they know how to blaze over and knock you down, right? When they don't know how to run, it's cute. It's adorable. But when I look at that passage and it says, walk as someone who is intelligent, walk as someone who's wise, I recognize because I've been given light and sight and I look at the scriptures with Holy Spirit there with me, showing me, not looking alone foolishly, thinking I can figure it all out on my own. I look at that and I say, for me to walk as wise, I must walk with him. It's impossible for me to walk as someone who is wise and intelligent, someone who can walk skillfully and purposefully, walking backwards and side to side. No babies doing that in this church, right? Tiptoeing and skipping. I can do all of those things because I spiritually am walking with him. And your kids all walk better, those who have gotten past that funky stage, because they've been walking with you. So when Scripture is telling me, when Paul is saying to the church of Ephesus, and when I'm saying to the church of Fifth and Grant, when I'm saying to you, walk as wise, if we're looking at this with this light and sight we've been given, we don't feel this pressure that we have to walk and figure it out and be perfect and blameless by ourselves. I'm not walking by myself. And I don't need to keep reading footprints in the sand to figure that out. I just got to look at his works, y'all. Just look at how he's been faithful before. And when I see that, I go, man. He really loves me. He really is kind. He really is patient. He really is thoughtful. He really, he's all of those things. When did he stop being those things? When did his nature change? Hasn't he been consistent? When I look back at it, I see where he's been patient with me when I was 8, when I was 11, when I was 15, when I was 17, and Friday going into Saturday. So then as I think about the new challenges I'm going to encounter, it's by looking at his works that I gain confidence. But maybe that's not enough for you. So can we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, which 
if the media team, okay, good, perfect. So therefore be, what? I mean, that's a beautiful slide. Somebody designed it. Can we read that as if y'all could see it? Be, be what? Be copycats? Watch intently? Wait, intently. Where have we heard that before? Bob, how are we supposed to look? Intently. We're supposed to look intently. If you were paying attention last week, and if you weren't, you can go back to YouTube. But we're supposed to be looking intently. And that's not just as we peer at Scripture, but as we look back over our life. Right? There's a song that we used to sing at Victory where uh, we used to say, As I look back over my life, I can see how your love has guided me. Right? I think about that and I go, if I look back over my life, I can see moments where in imitating him, I walked more skillfully. Verse 15 becomes less difficult when I realize verse 1 is what precedes it. I can't walk skillfully unless I look at the word of God and look at the physical word of God, the manifest Jesus. If I look upon him, this is a, 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 an image bearer, the first perfect image bearer. If I look at Jesus, I see how I can imitate God. Because you might say, how am I supposed to imitate him? But Judah talked about Advent, and he talked about this being revealed. And God chose to reveal himself in his son. So, Kevin, you say, how am I supposed to imitate God? Look at Jesus. And then Advent becomes so much more special because now, when you're given that admonition, you know you're capable of doing it. You see, God has never asked you to do anything without giving you a means to be able to do it. He is a teacher that has never given you a math problem without first sitting there saying, let me figure this out, let me understand it, cool. Let me make sure there's all the teaching aids available, cool. Let me make sure there's the worksheets with all the fish and plants to color in. I'm going to have all the things necessary to teach them. And he gives all of us that in Christ Jesus. And so we're able to imitate him as beloved children, like kiddos copying their parents, and we're able to see more clearly how to navigate our situation. Two more passages that I think you can look at differently now once God has provided light and sight. Can we go to 2 Timothy 2, verse 15? This is one that really stumbled me up over the years, but it's one that's so cool now. Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved. That's a lot of pressure to present my God, myself to God approved. How am I supposed to do that? I'm a screw up. I make so many mistakes. I made a few this weekend. I might make a few to, uh, this afternoon when I'm watching the Eagles uh, play the Niners. I, I might yell and get a little too excited about that. But all the same, I don't have to show myself approved by myself. See, I simply present the works that Christ has done, the perfect work he did on the cross. I present myself to God in Christ Jesus. So I don't have to present myself alone. Yeah, it's talking about studying. And yes, 
I, I can read this and I can look at it so literally and I can be like, gosh, I haven't been studying the Bible recently because that's how I read it before. Without light and without sight, I look at that and it says study and be eager and do your utmost. And, and, and I, I saw study only. I looked at one word in the verse and I said, I haven't been studying, so I guess I'm not approved. Or I have been studying. So I can look back over a couple years ago when I was in a regular Bible study habit and I had read the whole Bible in a year, a little over a year. And I remember thinking I was approved because I was studying. That's not what approved me. What I'm studying is his word, but what else am I studying? I'm studying his prior faithfulness, but what else am I studying? I'm studying the perfect picture he's given me in Christ Jesus. I'm studying what he's doing in the lives of other people around me. I'm studying. I'm looking intently at these things. I'm saying, God, where is your hand in it? God, what do you want me to do? God, how do you want me to respond? I'm studying how he responds to my questions. I'm studying how how he guides things all around me. I'm studying all of those things, and I'm eagerly seeking them and I'm peering into them, but ultimately I'm presenting myself, after all of this careful study, after all this looking at the situations, I'm presenting myself the only way the study should reveal that I do, in Christ. After all of my looking around, after all of my searching, after all of my examining, after all of my figuring out, I realize that there's nothing I can do to present myself as approved except presenting myself as who? Someone who is in Christ, seated in high places. I can enter, as Hebrews says, boldly the throne room of grace. I can do that because I'm his. I'm not relying on myself anymore. Again, this series isn't called Show Your Works, as some in this room might be really good at doing. And some of this room are not so good at doing. Your works are irrelevant, though. His works are everything. Let's go back to the verse. Study, now that we're set free from it, study and be eager and do your utmost. These are all the things that you can do. We can be eager about our time with the Lord and our walk with him. We can do our utmost, not giving lackluster effort. We can study all of the things he's done, all of his prior works, his prior faithfulness, his word, his son. But ultimately, I'm approved by who? By Christ. And that's tested, as we talked about in a previous series I taught. That is going to be tested. My reliance on Christ will be tested. And in trial, if I'm uncareful, if I'm untaught, if I'm not walking skillfully, I might start to rely on the things I once relied on. But when I'm tested, I need to always go back to the place of I rely on Christ. When I find myself in lack, I rely on Christ. When I find myself in poverty, I rely on Christ. When I find myself being judged or ridiculed, being talked about despitefully, I must rely on Christ. When I find my name being despitefully used, I must rely on who Christ knows me to be, who he's made me to be. I must rely on him. As I'm tested, I need to make sure that I'm fully relying on only Christ. A workman who has... No cause to be ashamed. Wow. Why do I have no cause to be ashamed? Because I'm studying the Bible on an everyday basis? Because I look at it at 7.15 when the version notification goes off? No. Because I've presented myself in Christ. I have nothing to be ashamed about. I have some stuff I need to work through. 
And he might be convicting me through his spirit, to his, through his spirit to avoid certain things that I might have done before, to avoid certain gatherings, to avoid certain people, to avoid certain behaviors. He's always teasing out, hey, I want to put my hand on this because this is not settled. I, I'm not sovereign over this. He's working out some things. But when I present, I'm, I'm not ashamed, even though he's pointing those things out, because he's not pointing them out to say, go away from me, Kelly. You can't be with me, Kelly. You're not good enough. He's saying, hey, you're good enough, but I want you to work on this so you might have freedom, more freedom, and more freedom, and more joy, and more peace, and more power, and more authority. I want you to walk in that, so we got to get rid of this, because this is holding you back from accessing all that I have for you. Make sense? Correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. If I haven't first seated myself in him, if I haven't first shed it being ashamed, if I'm still thinking that it's my efforts and not his, it's going to be rather difficult for me to teach anything. Let's move on. Colossians 3. I believe I gave her 16 and 17. If I'm not mistaken, it might have been 15 actually. Sorry. There you go, 15. Going back to those things that he's putting his hand on so that we might have more joy and more peace. Colossians says it this way, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Not the anxiety of the day, not the things to be stressed about, not the to-do list, not the calendar reminders, not all the obstacles, not all the news reports from this channel or that channel, not all the conflict and interpersonal relationships that we're going through, not how much our kids are annoying us, not whether we got sleep or didn't get sleep, not how busy our day is, not the important activities coming up, all the things that we've allowed to rule our heart before. He's saying, let what? The peace of, not just peace, because you might confuse that and you might think it's peace, the absence of problems. Let that rule in your heart. We ain't talking about that. So the peace of Christ is something that confounds earthly wisdom. The peace of Christ referenced in Philippians 4, it, it goes beyond our human understanding. It's appearing because he gave it regardless of the circumstances, good or not, regardless of how arduous the path is, regardless of how difficult things are. As I look back over my life, as I reflect on his works, I recognize how he helped me to overcome before. And so even though I shouldn't have confidence when the doctor gives me a diagnosis, even though I shouldn't have peace in this situation, I do because I recognize how faithful he's been before. And there's been no problem that I faced before at eight, at 11, at 15, or this weekend. No problem that he hasn't helped me to overcome. So that is the peace of Christ to recognize that he is faithful in all situations. That is my strategy guide. I'm never at a loss. I'm never confounded because I have the one who has navigated life perfectly, presenting himself to the Father for us and for himself, and now I'm redeemed. That's the peace I have. That's the peace I rely on. Stop asking for your situations to clear up and for nothing to be going wrong. It ain't going to happen. Stop waiting for all the problems to go away. Lord, can you just make tomorrow a little easier than today? It ain't going to happen. But he's willing to give you the peace of knowing that he's in it with you. And he, as John says, has overcome the world. 
I have the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords. I have the one who has all majesty and authority, who is truly sovereign. That's the one who has given me peace. And it's that peace that he's given because he doesn't give us, Hannah, anything that we shouldn't use. He doesn't give us anything without purpose. He's given me that peace so that I might navigate situations more skillfully. Let that peace rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do. When you're parenting, that's a whatever you do. When you're doing your internship or cast, whatever your thing is called, I don't forgot what your thing is called. You, you told me it several times, but the things you do with your proctors and all that, when you're doing that, how are you supposed to do it? When you're navigating people who have hurt you, how are you supposed to do it? When you're starting a new job, how are you supposed to do it? When you're concerned about layoffs, can we go back to the verse? You might have forgot. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does it look like to do it in his name? It looks like loving when people don't deserve it. It looks like forgiving when people don't deserve it. It looks like having peace in situations that would rock and shake anybody else. It might have even rocked and shaked you before you recognize that you have this peace of God. You do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the name that is above all names. Right? This is the highest name. This is the cornerstone we're talking about. So what does it look like to do something in his name? Not to constantly tell everybody you're a Christian. What does it look like to do something and it be in his name? Heads up, that might be a question for your life group in two weeks. So write this down in your notes and reflect on it this week. What does it look like to do something in the Lord's name? And I'm not talking about just doing good stuff. I'm talking about doing everything with him in mind. Doing it the way he would have you do it. And that means everything. Because whatever you do means everything you do. Right? And there's some difficult things we're doing in this room. I don't need to call them all out. You're sitting here listening. You know about the things. You're probably sitting there also, some of you, saying, Donovan can't possibly mean this thing. Because I got to do this thing this way, my way. This thing is difficult. He doesn't understand. He's never been through this thing. So he can't tell me nothing about this thing. I don't got to tell you anything. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. Whether I can relate or anyone can relate or anyone can understand, whether it's difficult or easy, you're still being encouraged that whatever you do, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is he your Lord? If so, this is non-negotiable. Because Jesus did nothing 
said nothing, accomplished nothing except what his father told him to do. And if I'm to be an imitator, Alan, and Jesus only cared about what the father did, then I don't want to do anything, and I mean anything, that I'm not doing in his name. And I know if there's things I'm doing that I'm doing that are not in his name, and the encouragement is stop. Now. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't stay in places that you know are doing you physical and spiritual harm any longer so you can protect the feelings of those who want you to stay there and degradation with them. Walk out of those places because he has given you freedom. Walk out of unforgiveness. He's given you freedom. Walk out of poor decisions. Walk out of celebrating with those who don't understand how to celebrate properly. Walk out of those things. Walk out of unforgiveness of people that have hurt you, and people have hurt you in this room, but walk out of those things and do only things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We'll end here. Can we go to Philippians 1.6? And I know I didn't give it to you guys, actually, so this is just when I say, can we go to it? I mean, pull out your Bibles and get out your phones. Media, don't you freak out. Mm, don't even look for it. I can, see, I can see you looking for it. Don't you look for it. Stop it. No. No. Mm-mm. Nope. Hands up. Good. Okay. Philippians 1.6. Write it down if you can't find it or you're not that quick. This is another one of those passages that in my preparation for this week, I've reflected on. It's something I saw before, and I found myself maybe looking at it without bright eyes, without, without career, correct eyes, and now I'm looking at it again, and I see how much freedom it gives. Philippians 1.6 says, of course, my phone wasn't unlocked. That's okay. Pretend you got some whole music playing. Do, 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 do. Paul says this to the church at Philippi, and I'm convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. When Judas says that Jesus has come and he'll come again until he comes again, until he's back, y'all, the things that he started in you, those works that he's done before, he's continuing them and you aren't perfecting yourself alone. You're not studying alone. You're not walking as wise alone. You're not overcoming trial alone. You're not forgiving those who hurt you alone. You're not worshiping alone. You're not admonishing and teaching alone. The good work he has begun. You might be seeing your hands moving, but he's the one orchestrating. The good work he has begun in you, he will see it through to completion. That's something worth celebrating. That's something worth celebrating. And it's really cool because we're doing communion today. And so the person who's leading that, I'm going to ask that you start making your way up. We're doing communion today and we get to see, right, that he started that work long ago. Before many of us were born, he started that work. He started it by giving of his very self so that we might be free. I could be an imitator of him, and I can see that he's given everything that all might be free. And so I want to watch how he operated in that, the selflessness, the sacrifice, how he operated in that. That's something I can imitate. That's where the good work started, and it continues. Amen?
Amen.